Welcome to the Grow People Podcast with Pastor Jason, lead pastor of Revolution Church. My name is David Stein. I'm the campus pastor at our Canton location. Purpose of the Grow People Podcast is to help grow people. Grow people. You were yelling it in the car. We got uh, it down there. Welcome to episode 18. I can't believe we've gotten this far. Our producer is Chandler Elder. Chandler, thank you for uh, putting everything together for us every time. I can't believe the advertisers hadn't kicked us off yet. Yeah, 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 we have we have so many sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first of all, everybody is wondering what did Lindsay buy? Well, she just informed <laughs> me today that she hasn't bought anything yet. Uh, surprisingly, so I think she uh, after church on Sunday, I think she must have just been too tired to <laughs> to go purchase stuff. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, yeah. you weren't at church on you weren't Sunday. at church. Yeah, just Lindsay. Saying. That was super funny, though. It was. Uh, where, because, <laughs> you know, we obviously we had planned for her to come up on stage and um, she always prays for the moms. That's always awesome. And during the 9 30, I had no idea where she was going with something, you know, and she started making a comment about um, how I always check on purchases every day. I'm looking at the bank account and always asking her questions. And so she was going, uh, running, you know, making a comment about that. And I said, I'm just checking for fraud. (laughs) And then out of nowhere, she goes, I am the fraud. (laughs) Uh, It was super funny. I got, we got so many comments about that. And uh, now people talking about like that should be on our next t-shirt or something. I am the fraud. I am the fraud. (laughs) It's our next Mother's Day. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Uh, We were talking about that in all staff that for the photo booth next year, that can be the neon sign. Uh, (laughs) I am the fraud. uh, which that looked great. Our team did awesome. Oh, the photo was, booths at both campuses looked awesome. If you don't know what we're talking about, you weren't here. You weren't here. Uh, so that we're not, was, we're not was trying super, to make you feel. Guilty. No, we're not. We're not. Are we? No, I'm, no, I'm, we're not. I'm, I don't I'm, know about your motives. No. But, yeah. <laughs> I want people engaged in the life of the of church. Of course. Yeah. You, you know. You know. I do. Um, when did you think about using the stool for the illustration and the message uh, about uh, reclining at the table? Well, on Thursday, uh, before our Thursday night gathering, as I was, you know, finishing up the sermon, I thought, man, this would have been awesome to have a recliner on stage because it says, you know, about Lazarus reclining at the table with Jesus. But I thought, oh, man, it'd be too hard to get a, you know, a um, lazy boy up there, you know, in between and that kind of stuff. So I, I tried to did my best on Thursday to kind of act it out. And then when I got to church on Sunday and that little blue stool we have in the office in the back, um, I thought, oh, I could use that, you know, because it's lightweight. We could mm-hmm. get it on stage. And so the genesis of that was really Sunday morning and talking with our our stage manager and, and Brian um, Damro about, like, hey, can we do this? And so we made it work you know, even though it wasn't a big recliner, but it was enough for me to sit on and kind of act it out. It worked. Uh, <clears throat> because that was the really, that was the thought as I wanted to illustrate that because it is kind of a powerful image mm-hmm. to think about, you know, he's reclining at the table and how he's relaxing in this moment. And then I was trying to be rhythmic, you know, and talking about he was reclining in the tomb. Now he's at the table. He was dead. Now he's eating dinner. 
you know, kick the bucket and I was kicking kick it, it with, with Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> you know, it was funny. But the cool thing was, then you told me afterwards, Thursday, like there's, there was Jewish significance to that. Oh, absolutely. I didn't know that. Yeah. On, on Passover, and of course, the Last Supper was the Passover Seder. Yeah. Uh, the youngest male in the family uh, recites or actually has to sing hmm. what, what are called the Fir Kashas, which is uh, the Hebrew or Yiddish for uh, four questions. Hmm. And uh, it's it's a horrific moment for a child because <laughs> everybody is looking at you yeah. to uh, pronounce the Hebrew prayer uh, correctly. And uh, one of the four questions that you ask on Passover is, why do we recline? Mm. Uh, why on this night? Why is this night different than any other night? Why do we recline on this night? Yeah. And then the response is, we'll recline on this night to remember that we escape the uh, persecution of Egypt. Mm. And then when we finally got to a place of rest, we were able to recline in the freedom of that rest. Yeah. So imagine growing up Jewish, 45 years, this is what Passover is. All of a sudden, Jesus is, Jesus changes my life. Yeah. And now all of a sudden that freedom and that reclining has a completely different image, image. completely different, uh, uh, message in it. So, yeah. so you sang those? Oh, yeah. Manash Tana Hazeh. That is why do we eat matzah on this night? Okay. And so I thought I heard matzah. In yeah. There. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It's something you just never forget. Yeah. And we can auto tune that. We, right. Please. Post Chandler, can you auto tune that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, there are, there are these things that, I see in the Bible now mm. that are like, I had no idea. Yeah. So Lazarus is reclining at the table. Mm -hmm. um, even in uh, later in John 13, when Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Yeah. And, you know, one of the disciples, maybe John, you know, reclines back against Jesus, mm. rest, resting on Jesus and going, Hey, who is it? Come on, tell me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there, there are many things that I'm reading in the Bible now as a believer that, well, I missed. Yeah. I was blind. Well, and that's what's always cool to me is because, you, you know, you knew the Jewishness of it, but you didn't know the Christian part. You mm -hmm. didn't know Christ. But there's a lot of Christians that they know Christ, but they don't know the Jewish part of it. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite problem, which is what I've always, one of the things I've always appreciated about our friendship and I've said that to you many times, like I just didn't appreciate, and I think most Christians don't, how Jewish our faith is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how I've said many times, you know, Christ came from the Jews, but not just for the Jews. But we really miss out on so much deeper meaning that is there if we don't know the Jewish history of it. Mm -hmm. If we don't know like that, I would have never known that you sang songs about <laughs> reclining at the table. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it works both ways is kind of what I'm saying. You were singing it, but didn't know it, but we, we know that, but we don't we we don't celebrate the mm -hmm. historical part of it. Yeah. And, and what is not in scripture is the amount of time that you get to the house where the Passover Seder is, and then you finally eat. Mm. We would 
starve because sometimes these Passover <laughs> seder seder is the uh, Hebrew word for order. So we would just starve by the time you got through the entire service. Yeah, like, please, can, can we can just I, eat? Can I have a piece of that matzah? <laughs> <laughs> that bread with no yeast in it looks is looking awesome. <laughs> um, oh, flashbacks to my my mom sending us to school hmm. with our lunch boxes, <laughs> and it was peanut butter and jelly on matzah for eight nights. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was a that and the matzah didn't really absorb the jelly or the peanut butter hey, it just kind of stays right there I'm, on top i'm making fun of it but to this day leanne and i love having you still like it oh peanut butter and jelly on matzah or really or, oh you know what it's great that's uh, not sacrilegious at all i don't believe so okay. <laughs> uh, nutella on oh matzah. Well, nutella on anything is good <laughs> yeah uh, uh try some pimento cheese on matzah oh yeah so if you yeah. want to you want to blend the cultures yeah yeah worlds colliding yeah so uh yeah it was just a powerful message uh and i i've said this before you know the 2015 mother's day message was the best then then the 2017 mother's day message was the best but this one really stuck out um as we looked at mary mm -hmm. and uh mary being such an example yeah well you know as we <clears throat> preach i mean just like easter when we're preaching through a book of the bible there, there, I wouldn't say there's a con to it. There's like pros and cons. There's nothing bad. However, when you are doing that, there are certain holidays that you want to hit mm -hmm. and, um, or that you have to Easter, those kinds of things. And so, um, when you, when you lay out a book of the Bible, you know, you try to be cognizant of those days. Like, uh, I'm going to get, I've said this, but you know, getting my doctorate and, when we were in class, Dr. Uh, Ed Stetzer, who runs our program, he was preaching for one of my friends that's in the class. He was preaching at his church, and they're preaching through Daniel right now, and he preached on Mother's Day, but he was doing Daniel 70 weeks on Mother's Day. <laughs> so they were joking. He was like, bro, what am I going to talk about 70 weeks on Mother's Day? You know. <laughs> and so the reason I mentioned that, you know, when, you, when we lay out the scripture, for what we're going to talk on each week, you, you try to be cognizant of those things. And it just so happened, you know, and we did that, you know, on purpose when I, when we were laying this out weeks ago, I thought, Oh, it would be cool to talk about Mary, you know, on mother's day, this, this act that she does of anointing Jesus and how Mary serves as a great example for moms, you know, and women in general, I mean, really all of us, but you know, it, it just, it, it became an easy way to tie that into Mother's Day mm -hmm. to say, you know, here was Mary who was incredibly grateful for what Jesus had just done with Lazarus, but she gave us an example. Like she valued Jesus above everything else. And so she spends this lavish perfume on him and how as moms, they have the power to create positive examples in their family, you know, to... Um, like she used her hair as a rag, you know, mm -hmm. well, one, women's hair is very important and vital. And the Bible even speaks of it like being a glory. And so it was just cool how that turned, um, how that, you know, just fit in very well. Um, and letting Mary teach us to value Jesus above everything else, mm -hmm. you know, and the infinite, I think the point was when we see the infinite value of Jesus and our values change. Right. And Mary set that example. And I think, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with perfume or 
fixing your hair or dressing nice. But as Paul says in first Timothy two, you know, the primary charge for women is to spend their most time on good works, not just good looks. Um, and not that that's a uniquely woman thing. It's not, but I mean, cause I've known plenty of men that are way too infatuated with the mirror and themselves. Um, not, maybe not with their hair, not with their, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, it would be tough to wipe Jesus feet with your bald head. <laughs> you know, I get r- real weird fast, but, um, but the cool thing about the story was, I mean, how many times has a, Lindsay's done this. My daughter's done this has walked into a room with perfume on and everybody smells it, but it's just on her. Mm. And it just fascinated me that, but Mary gave the perfume to Jesus. He smelt good, which then in turn, the whole room smelt good. Mm. So she used her, her gifts and blessing to, to bless him, to anoint him. And then everybody benefited from it. And now we're talking about that. Mm you know, we wouldn't be talking about someone who had put perfume on themselves 2000 years Mm -hmm. later, but we are talking about her because she set such a godly example for us. And that's what I want for my wife and my daughter and every mother and woman in our church is to live that kind of life, Mm -hmm. you know? All right. That was, that was excellent. Uh, and especially when, uh, when you're reading, we're reading scripture, uh, you, encourage the church to read through John 20 times uh, over the course of the time that we're going through the book of John. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many times, it hasn't been 20, yeah. uh, <laughs> that I've gotten to verse 7 uh, of chapter 12 and never even thought about the words, leave her alone. Yeah. And that's what Jesus said uh, to Judas. Yeah. Le- leave her alone. Never thinking in the context of let her have this moment. Yeah. Well, again, that was the other cool thing about it too. And I didn't say this a second ago, when you are preaching through books of the Bible, even though you need to be cognizant of days and special days, but the good thing is it forces you to get to texts that you wouldn't have just chose. Like if I'm choosing a mother's day message, I'm probably not choosing that one. Mm -hmm. You know, there's plenty of other texts, but the fact that it's there, so I need to preach it. And then you're saying, okay, what does this mean? And then again, looking into that and digging into that um, from the help of other pastors and, and commentators saying, what is Jesus getting at there? Like he said, let her have it. Well, what is it? It's not the perfume. It's, you know, again, that was my, my take on it was, it was this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I encourage people to give moms a moment, you know, because those that are moms understand, and Lindsay talks about this all the time, that's all she wants. Uh, I mean, she enjoys gifts, obviously, but she wants time. She wants a moment, yep. you know, a moment with her and Jesus, a moment with us as a family. And so the fact that Jesus was, I mean, it was Jesus, but the fact that Jesus, yes, yeah, said that is like, man, you're ruining the moment, Jesus, right. Judas. Do you not see this? Like, we're having an amazing moment, and Mary needs this. Mary needs this moment with me because in six days I'm about to die and she has no clue what she's doing is preparing, preparing me for that. And so let her have this joy, hmm. let her have this moment, leave her alone, you know? Um, and so it just makes you really appreciate Jesus being sensitive to that. Right. You know? Well, it was a powerful mother's day. And uh, if you have not seen the message, uh, you can go to the website and you can go to the app and watch 
the sermon from this previous week. You're listening to the Grow People podcast uh, with Pastor Jason. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna shift topics now. Uh, we're gonna go into something that I'm sure you all have been reading about in the news, uh, following on social media. Uh, it's gonna be talked about today from the point of view of discipleship. Yeah, it's an important topic. We're gonna talk about abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you know that there was a leaked document from the Supreme Court uh, going to repeal. Uh, Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. uh, sending it back to the states, and we thought it was important enough to cover this from what is our position as a church biblically, uh, what is our response as a church, and how do we care for and support women, mm-hmm. and what is our response as believers as we communicate with others who may or may not agree with what we agree with. Yeah, when we were talking about this, and it, it has been a growing conviction you know, I've talked about abortion at different times in different sermons, and I thought about doing it this last weekend. I mean, the irony of ironies is it was Mother's Day, mm-hmm. you know, and several of my pastor friends, because of this leak, were going to address it. And we talked about it, and I said, I'd rather not do it on Sunday because that's not the thrust of the message, but let's talk about it on the podcast yeah. because, you know, in this world we live in, we're trying to, as a church, invest in more what we just call long form, you know, media, not tweets or posts or, you know, those kind of, but forums like this where we can have a discussion about it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is to give us the opportunity to do this outside of the weekend. Um, so with it being a leaked decision, it's not final. Um, we felt like this is a great forum to have this conversation. And I get, we get asked this question a lot. Uh, and I'd rather do it here than post something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in a message, sometimes, you know, the audience that is there will have different pos- positions and opinions on it. Um, and so this allows us to have this conversation in a way that hopefully is really helpful to people to not only know where we stand as a church, but um, what we really see about how the Bible speaks to this. And so I do think it's important for us to answer the question um, and for Christians to be able to answer a question. And we were talking about this yesterday, you know, 50, 60 years ago, um, really the stream of culture, uh, Christianity was the dominant stream of Mm -hmm. culture. I mean, even if you look at TV shows and you never even saw them sleeping in the same bed, you never, you know, you just, you never saw that. So from a, a morality standpoint, the mainstream culture was Christian. It was a Christian stream for the most practical purposes. And so you had convictional Christians, like, and then kind of cultural. You could be cultural and Christian and not face much opposition. But now the cultural stream has shifted, and now Christianity is not upstream in that it's kind of the one that's it's flowing. We are way downstream Mm -hmm. from it now. And so now you can't really be casual. You can't really be a cultural Christian because the culture is pushing you because the stream has shifted. Mm -hmm. And so now, um, you know, there's a lot of culture that is anti-Christian that is anti-truth and Bible. And so therefore it's much tougher now for Christians, um, to when you before you could kind of give an answer and everybody kind of generally believed that or agreed with you like oh yeah yeah we agree 
But now, as things have shifted, you better know what you believe because people are going to attack you for it. Right. Uh, and that's, again, why we wanted to have this conversation. So let's start out with what is the position as a church, biblically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our position, very simply put, is that um, life begins at conception. And which naturally is going to put us in the pro-life camp. Um, and I have no, uh, I'm not ashamed by that at all, mm-hmm. in a sense, or, or feeling like we even need to defend that. Well, we need to defend it, but like I don't have to be defensive about it. And, and what I mean by that is um, I think it's important not to start with the established categories of the world, mm-hmm. like, hey, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? Because naturally when you start with those categories, then you they're trying to fit you into that. Well, if you're this, then you don't believe this and you don't believe this and you don't right. believe this mm-hmm. or you're not with us or whatever. So what I'm the reason how I answered your question is to I didn't say pro-life at first is to I'm giving a biblical answer. Right. Um, because uh, when the Bible, especially biblical times, they wouldn't have used the words pro-life. They wouldn't even have used the word conception, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, maybe not, but the, the fundamental biblical understanding is what I'm getting at. There's just too many texts in the Bible, uh, you know, the, you know, famous one, Psalm 139, but one of my most favorites is Jeremiah one. Um, cause it's one of my key texts, um, that has a, a big, uh, a, has had a big effect in my life just because of my story. But in Jeremiah chapter one, God is speaking to Jeremiah and he tells him, he uses four, I think it's four specific verbs. He says, before I formed you, I knew you, I consecrated you and I appointed you. So if you just look at that from a standpoint of, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Well, there's some basic truths there. God knew about Jeremiah before he, uh, before his parents, you know, uh, were involved at all. So God knew that. Then he says, I formed, I knew you before I formed you. So then God is the one that formed him. And that word is, I mean, literally is that God is like shaping it. Um, he put Jeremiah together and then before he formed him, he consecrated him, which means set him apart. Um, like we talked weeks ago that Jesus wasn't created, but he was consecrated before you know, in eternity past. And then fourth, he says, I appointed you. Well, all four of those things happened before Jeremiah was born. Uh, before Jeremiah, his mother had given birth to him. Right. So again, when you just take that, that text right there, that is God's perspective on this. So again, I think that's the important place to start. This is not my opinion. Mm-hmm. This isn't the church's opinion or even Christian's opinion. This is God's opinion. This is what God said to Jeremiah. Yes. This is how God sees this issue. And as Christians, I think that's where we have to start. And that's what I'm getting at is when I said life begins at conception, because um, the way God describes it, he knew him, formed him, consecrated, appointed him. Um, and again, and then you take that and you apply it practically well, at what point in time did Jesus become Jesus? Uh, and what I mean by that is I'm not talking eternity past. I'm talking human. Mm-hmm. When Jesus, you know, John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. At what point did he become flesh? Was it when Mary gave birth to him? 
or was it when the Spirit came upon her and, and Jesus was conceived? Well, naturally, your argument would be, well, at that point in time. Sure. That's when it happened. It happened there. And then the Bible describes, you know, John's mother, Elizabeth, uh, she's pregnant, uh, right? Mary gets pregnant. Elizabeth had been pregnant for six months. And then they get together and John leaps in Mary's, in Elizabeth's womb. Well, was John, John already? Like, so John, and I don't even like the word fetus. I understand the medical term, sure, but I don't like it used in a way that describes almost like this is not a human, right? You know, um, because that is a point of view of the side that is not uh, believing that life uh, begins at conception. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a clump of cells or whatever. Um, which you don't hear is, I mean, you still hear that some, but science is just, I mean, obliterated that art. I mean, we just know like when the heart starts beating, you know, all those kinds of things, uh, when, from a developmental standpoint, we've learned so much from, you know, imaging capabilities that we have now. But when John did that, the Bible speaks of him, John leapt in her womb, yep. the baby leapt in, that was John in the presence of the flesh, the word made flesh, Jesus. Which is incredible. Yeah. So before Jesus was born, he was already recognized as Jesus. Um, and John in the womb recognized that. Just think about that. Just amazing. So again, from a biblical perspective, as Christians, that's where we need to start. And that's just how the Bible describes it. Um, the Bible describes um, life uh, that is a human. Um, again, Jesus, John, Jeremiah, you go all the way down. You know, so I think it's important to start there. Mm -hmm. That's how the, how the Bible would describe it. It's interesting that we're talking about life, mm -hmm. um, but we also have to talk about the life cycle of this story that began with uh, a leak mm -hmm. of, of a document. Mm -hmm. Uh, from the Supreme Court, because the life cycle of this story began with outrage. Yeah. And then the next phase of the story was, okay, you people who believe that life starts at conception, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christians, yeah. uh, what, what are you going to do about it? Well, we've already yeah. done a lot about it. Of course. Yeah. And, and I think that's important that we talk about the church's response, mm -hmm. not just to what we believe, but... Mm -hmm. How are we going to move forward, and what have we already done? Yeah, let me uh, remember that, because as you were talking, it made me think of something, because I, I'm going to, I think it would be helpful, two things, to frame kind of where we are, mm -hmm. and to answer that question, but also, how did we get here? You know, kind of look at it from a historical perspective, because this is a unique, uh, a uniquely pretty modern issue. Like, again, Roe v. Wade was decided in the early 70s. You know, and so this has been 50 years um, in our country specifically. I'm not saying abortions hadn't happened prior to that, um, but it's uniquely modern. And and I think it's important to recognize, we talked about the Bible, so now we can just kind of talk about history. Um, coming out of the sexual revolution of the 60s, which, um, you know, Hugh Hefner was a huge part of, uh, and those that were alive during the 60s would remember 
you know, he's looking at me. I'm looking at David for those that are listening. Um, it, it was all about free love, sex. Now, now granted, I was I was born in 1961, so no, I, you I, 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 I was, I was not all that. about that. No, you were as an eight year old. No, but uh, I'm saying the culture was right. the culture was. And here's the important point that what, the reason why I'm saying that, why I want to talk about this is, again, biblically speaking, the primary purpose of sex is not pleasure. It's just not. It is procreation. That's the primary purpose. It was one of the first commands God gave to multiply and fill the earth. He, he made man mankind in his image, male and female, the Bible says he created them and then gave them a command to procreate. So I think it's important to state that not only life begins at conception, and that's God's understanding, but what's the purpose of sex? Because it's not only how you define um, life that frames this argument, it's how you define sex. What's the purpose of it? Biblically speaking, unequivocally, it's procreation. Now, because God is a gracious God, he made what he commanded us to do pleasurable. Mm -hmm. So pleasure is the byproduct. Like he made it pleasurable so that we'd keep doing it. Because if we, he didn't, then, you know, it was like, oh, got to go make a baby, you know, um, said no one ever, you know. <laughs> So again, if you think about it, it's procreation and God made it pleasurable. So procreation is the point, pleasure is the byproduct. Well, in the 60s, that flipped. Right. Pleasure became the point, and then procreation became the unfortunate byproduct. Mm. Does that make sense that, what I'm that's saying? A, that's a great way to explain it. Yes. Yeah, perfect way to explain it. So once pregnancy became the unfortunate byproduct and pleasure was the point, not procreation. It was in that culture that Roe v. Wade was created mm -hmm. because now culturally people are thinking, no, I don't, I don't want to get pregnant. I just, but I do want to have sex uh, because it's pleasurable. It was in that culture that this law came into existence. And again, what we're saying, we have, we need to, I think as Christians step back beyond 1972, I think it is, and go back and say, no, 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 what's the point of, of sex? It's procreation, which is why God said, you know, a man and woman are joined together. They become one flesh and then they pro, you know, they procreate. That's how it works. So that's why we, we come together for the purpose of procreating. Mm -hmm. We don't come together for the purpose of pleasure. And so from a Christian perspective, if you frame it that way, then we see, okay, procreation is the point, and so therefore abortion is unnecessary if that's our goal. Right. But from a cultural perspective, they said, no, our goal is pleasure, and so abortion becomes necessary because procreation is something we don't want. Um, and I think it's important to have that historical framework, mm -hmm. which then leads to the current argument you know, of pro-choice versus pro-life. Which again, a word on that is, um, I don't even like those phrases in the sense, and it's not what I like, but I'm just saying, we don't want to um, say that someone doesn't have the freedom to make choices. We have, I heard one pastor say, the most spiritual thing we can do is choose. 
you know, God gave us the freedom of choice. So when someone says, well, if you believe life is begins at conception, the point is procreation. So you're anti-choice. Well, no, right. We're not saying that we're anti-choice. And what God is saying is, no, I gave you the ability to choose full well, knowing that you were going to abuse it. But what we're saying is that's a bad choice. That's correct. Um, and the reason why it's a bad choice is because it is innately taking the life of someone that God formed pre birth, you know, um, just because a baby travels down the eight or 10 inches of a birth canal, they don't suddenly go from non-human to human. Correct. You know, um, so I think it's important for us to say that from that, from that kind of biblical standpoint, again, is no, God gave us the ability to choose. The problem is, and I love how Jonathan Edwards talked about this when he talked about the bondage of the will. Our biggest problem as Christians is we would never choose correctly without God. Mm-hmm. We are in bondage. It's not that we don't have, this is a bigger debate of free will versus sovereignty. We have free will. The problem is I'm not free to ever choose good though. I would never choose good because I don't have the capacity to, mm-hmm. I would only choose evil. And I think that's another way people get hung up in this is we're not saying we're anti-choice. We're just saying, morally speaking, that's a bad one. Um, because you are now choosing something for someone else. Um, that is, you know, again, we just know scientifically a baby has a separate DNA, separate heartbeat, all those things. Um, so that is a person and no person should choose or have the ability to, uh, make a bad choice to take a life in that context. There's so many ways uh, we can go on this, uh, but it is important to uh, begin with the question, what do you believe? Yeah. Um, Because there are people in church, and uh, I'll just share a very short story. Yeah, I think this is important. I I, I was saved in 2006. Yeah. Uh, Radically saved, go from Jewish atheist to Jewish believer in one phone call. Well, in that phone call, I didn't start thinking, Oh, what do I think about this? What do I think about that? Yeah. And it never crossed my mind to consider what do I think about abortion now? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't until a year or two into my walk with Jesus that yeah. I began to think. And as soon as I began that thought process, I believe God said, Oh, this is what my word says. Exactly. And there there was no other there's no other uh, view of scripture after that. Yeah. So uh, you may be uh, a believer. Mm-hmm. You, you may be in church, but mm-hmm. maybe you've never thought about this yeah. from the point of view of what does God say? Mm-hmm. So uh, we want to come at this with uh, a tremendous amount of grace. Yes, we do. Uh, and also uh, a tremendous amount of grace and love for women who have had abortions. Absolutely. And I'm glad you you said those two things because we do, which is why I think it's important to have a conversation like this to not only clarify what we what we as a church believe and what we believe the Bible says and what God's word says. But we also believe that um, anybody who has sinned or made a mistake has the ability to be forgiven. Amen. And just like that, just like you, it, that was God's graciousness, graciousness to you over time, helping you see what his word says and believe. All of us had wrong beliefs when we believed, mm-hmm. when we trusted Jesus. Sure. 
So yeah, there's, I'm, I'm sure of it. There are people in our church that, um, in those two categories, one would disagree with us and maybe they haven't thought about it. Mm -hmm. And, and what we're saying is we, we want to be gracious and try to help you think so that you start thinking. And again, that's why I think it's important. We got to start biblically. What does God say? Not what does culture say? What my grandma will say? What does Planned Parenthood say? What does the government say? No, what does God say? And start there. Mm-hmm. And again, I think you'll find pretty quickly God says that where life begins and then to what was the point of sex? What was the point of marriage and mm-hmm. sex? Procreation. So the, for those that don't believe that, yeah, we want to loving. We're not shunning you. We're not yeah. saying you're, uh, we're not going to picket or protest or those kinds of things. Um, I think though it is important to have a conversation and, and even, and, and wrestle with that. And then two, yes, I know there are also women in our church that have had abortions Mm -hmm. and whether you were a believer or an unbeliever at the time or didn't understand or whatever, I think that's part of the conversation. I would say overwhelmingly a lot of people later in life who've made or had an abortion or made decisions like that have huge amounts of regret and shame. And so we're not saying what we're saying in any way to shame Mm -hmm. a woman who has done that, a man that participated in that, um, because God's grace is enough for them. Yes. And I think it's important. I don't think enough Christians say that, um, to say, you know, we do believe that taking the life of another is sin, but that God's grace in Christ covers all sin. I haven't seen it anywhere. In the last two weeks, yeah, uh, and I, you know, I, I did stay off of social media for quite some time, mm-hmm. uh, but I did want to see what modern day theologians are saying about this, yeah. And I haven't seen one person say anything other than "This is what we believe, and this is what you believe, and I'm right and you're wrong" on both sides, on both sides. Uh, but I haven't seen the church say what you just said. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's important to say that, and I know. I mean, every pastor that I know of um, that is pro-life feels the same way. Yes. Um, Because that is one of the, and this is, I think, what you were getting to earlier, the argument by a lot of people is like, well, Christians aren't really pro-life if they don't care for the mother or the child after, which is just simply not true. Uh, Again, Christians overwhelmingly adopt more children than any other group. Christians run crisis crisis pregnancy centers, like 90% of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then Christians are involved in all kinds of social programs. It's not even funny. I mean, Christians give way more to charity, way more, do way more social good than any other group. Like it's not even, it doesn't even compare. The biggest difference that I would say that people, um, debate about is most Christians and and then from a, and I'm saying conservative from a theological standpoint, uh, but then would also translate to conservative socially is saying, no, we just don't want the government doing because the the way government operates is they take taxes from us and then use them. Mm -hmm. So what Christians are saying, like me personally, I believe in a smaller government because I don't want Christians to not take the responsibility to be pro-life. That's right. Uh, again, one of my professor, Ed Stetzer, I don't know if he tweeted this or not, but he said this in our class and I asked if it was okay to say, he said, if Roe v. Wade does wind up, um, you know, being reversed, 
that's not the end of the pro-life movement. It's the beginning of the pro-life ministry. Mm. And I think so good. Yeah. It was incredible to think about, to say, uh, and I've never framed it like that, but everything that we do and we, we support, uh, I mean, this is foster care awareness month. Yep. Uh, we support organizations we give money to for foster care. We help foster care. We have so many people that foster so many families that have adopted. I've adopted. I mean, almost like, I mean, a ton of people on our staff have right. a ton of people in our church, how we care for the vulnerable, the, you know, all, all the things that the Bible tells us, all the groups that the Bible tells us, widows, orphans, I mean, you know, all the way through overwhelmingly Christians care and and have the the argument is we just don't think the government should do that. We should do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the real debate is well if you were really pro life then why did you not fund this thing in the government? Well because we don't want the government to do it. We want we believe it's our responsibility right. to do. Um so anyway, um that wasn't the thread we were on, but the the point is but even that someone who believes differently than me or us about the role of government, we should be gracious, gracious in our response to them. Definitely gracious to people who are, have different viewpoints, you know, than us. Um, and I don't just mean us as revolution church. I just mean in general. Yeah. I think the grace has gone out the window mm-hmm. of we're not giving anybody grace anymore or, or giving a clear message to people like, hey, even though this is what we believe the Bible says, if you've contradicted that, we don't hate you. Like, because the definition of the Bible is, or not the definition of the Bible, but our faith is built upon we're all sinners and are saved by grace. So I can't extend grace to myself and then not extend it to somebody who's had an abortion just because they did something I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I think that needs to be stressed as well. Uh, we have to have an overabundance of grace. Uh, for women, uh, for, like you said, uh, the men who uh, led the women into it. Uh, absolutely. And that's another thing I've heard uh, in the last couple of weeks. People are like, well, if you're going to force women to give birth and we should force men to take care of the children. Sure. Yep. I'm all for it. Force that man to pay child support. If he can be there to make a baby, he needs to be there to raise a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this isn't... Um, Again, it gets just, and honestly, a lot of times we didn't speak on these things um, as, um, uh, I wouldn't say as forcefully, but I used to, we used to try not to get into political and we still don't, I don't get into political issues about candidates or parties or overly partisan things. Cause I don't think that's the point, but I do think again, as the culture has shifted mm-hmm. and the stream has changed, Abortion is not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. You know, um, that's what, and you said this, what do you believe? You know, so I do think it's important for churches now to clarify what we believe because the cultural stream has shifted to the point of, well, not the majority doesn't believe this, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's abortion, whether it's what marriage is, what makes a man or a woman or whatever that is, the cultural stream has shifted to a point where I do think we have to be clear on what it is we believe, regardless of how it's perceived politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if abortion, uh, if if this topic has had more of an impact on 
how I relate to people who don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. Th- I don't think there's anything been bigger than this. Uh, obviously, you know, my family doesn't believe in Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I've had arguments with them. I've learned from those arguments not to have arguments with yeah, them. Of course. <laughs> uh, over, yeah. over the years, becoming uh, hopefully, uh, by the grace of God, more grace-filled yeah. in those conversations. But this one really got me because what my family believes yeah. is what I believed a short time ago. Yeah. Simply because I was misinformed. Yeah. So if that doesn't cause me to have grace, recognizing that a decade and a half ago, mm-hmm. these are these are the exact same arguments I would have used against uh, the pro-life movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think if you get anything out of this, it's how to care for people who agree with you or disagree with you, how to care for women who have had abortions mm-hmm. and how to have grace for them, uh, but also how to project yourself as a Christian what, what are the right things to say? Um, and are your words building people up or simply just arguing? Yeah, and, and there is a movement within, uh, I feel like, I mean, it's all po- politics, but politics in general just have become more volatile, more vitriol, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody's like, well, the other side does this, so we can do it. And I just think that's a bad argument It is for Christians. I don't care what... Whatever side it is, um, well, that's not the side we're on. Um, and, and a word about this, because this phrase is used a lot, well, you want to be on the right side of history. Well, I'm not so concerned to being on the right side of history, but I am concerned about being on the right side of truth. That's good. And I think that's important to make a distinction because let me give an example of not too recent history or not too distant history. The church especially in the American South was on the wrong side of truth when it came to slavery and it's framed. Now we were on the wrong side of history, which I would say history is neutral. It's not the wrong or right side of history. It's the wrong or right side of truth. The truth is every man and woman of every ethnicity on the planet was born and create created and born in the image of God. It's called the Imago Dei. So I don't care the skin tone or the color or the ethnicity. Every person is born in the Imago Dei. That's the truth. So therefore, every person, regardless of what they believe, deserves to be treated with dignity and respect because they're made in the image of their creator. That's the truth. So I want to be on the right side of that. Mm-hmm. So right now, what we're so the church was on the wrong side of that, not in in universally because it was mostly Christians that abolished slavery. Um, but we were on the wrong side of truth there, not the wrong side, but now we're getting into abortion and what we're saying, people are like, well, you want to be on the right side of history? No, no, no. I want to be on the right side of truth because in the same way, black people were made in the image of God. So are all people unborn people are made in the image of God. That's the right side of truth. Mm -hmm. And so that's the side we want to be on when that same way, the truth of the Bible says, I'm also to love my enemies. Yep. That's what Jesus said. What credit to use if you love those who love you, but love, I say, love your enemies. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. So we want to be on the right side of truth. And that's what I have found a lot of times with Christians. They're on the right side of truth about the unborn being made in the image of God, but on the wrong side of truth 
about hatred of their enemies yep. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they've adopt ta- tactics of mm-hmm. whoever they think the other side is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would say. Well, if you've taken the tactics of the other side, then you're, you're on the wrong side of truth now. Yeah. And, and I've said this many times over the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you post, yeah. consider who's going to read it. Yes. If, if you have friends on Facebook that, uh, that are not believers, yeah. consider how they're going to view your post. Yeah. And if, if you want to just be right, then, then you're wrong. Yes. You're on the <laughs> if, wrong side of truth. Yeah. If, yes. if, if you want to make a difference and yes. be able to, uh, be a witness mm-hmm. to them, uh, then consider how you post, uh, about, Abortion or any other topic. Any other topic. Again, and that's why I, I think it's important. I like the phrase right side of truth. There's a lot of Christians that are trying to be on the right side of history, but aren't doing it with truth and grace. So they're on the wrong side of truth in an effort to be on the right side of history. Hmm. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But if I'm always trying to be on the right side of truth, then I'm going to stand for the truth of what the Bible says. Um, that again, the Bible's anti-slavery. The Bible is, you know, it, or the Bible is pro image of God in people. So therefore, that means I'm going to stand up for the unborn. I'm going to stand up for the slave. I'm going to stand up for the marginalized. But I'm also going to stand up for the truth of treating my enemies with dignity and respect. Yes, all of that is the same side, mm-hmm. and that's what bugs me a lot of times when I see Christians that in an effort to stand up for truth are just jerks. I'm like, well, you're on the wrong side then. Yeah. And, and it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I speak from experience, uh, arguing with my mom mm-hmm. who, uh, does not believe what I believe. Yeah. Um, and I've, and I've gotten to the point now where she knows what I believe. She, yeah. she disagrees with it. And, and, and I say to her, mom, your eternity is more important than what you think of me. Yeah. That's, that's what I care about more about. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, and you're going to win her with winsome love. Right. Not an argument pointing yeah. out where she's wrong. When she goes out to a women's march mm-hmm. at 91, thank yeah. <laughs> knocking on doors <laughs> knock, or knock, whatever, knocking yeah. on doors at 91. Uh, I'm like, you go Harriet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I want her to feel loved so that when she has the Holy spirit, speak to her about something mm-hmm. when God is moving in her life, when she gets to her, the end of her life, yeah, she feels safe to come to me and ask questions. Yes. Because even though she knows you don't believe that you do believe differently than her, she also knows you have loved her in her differences. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that is the lost thing when it comes to how we engage with culture. I mean, we've laid out on here already what we believe is true. So in the same breath, we believe that God made man and woman Imago Dei in his image and the conception begins at life. But we also believe in treating our enemies who believe differently than us with grace and respect Mm -hmm. because they too are made in the image of God. And both of those things are true. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can't say the truth in that kind of way, or I should say live the truth in that kind of way, then if people think I'm a jerk and how I respond to them, then they're never going to listen to what I have to say over here. Amen. Amen. Your, your neighbor is never going to come to you when their marriage implodes to ask you a, a advice or, or at least get any wise counsel. 
if you've been a jerk to them. Exactly. And I say neighbor could be next door. Yeah, and and they should know I'm a loving person. Yes. Even though I may vote differently than them mm-hmm. or I uh, have different, you know, uh, viewpoints on life or whatever than them, you know, um, and that is, that's the track record of Christians, you know, um, even in ancient Rome when Christians were being persecuted and murdered. Um, I can't remember which emperor it was, but, um, he said, I don't, I, I don't like these Christians, but they're loving our marginalized more than we do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're loving our sick and, and right. dying more than we do. Right. You know, um, and that's the point yeah. that we're trying to make is, yes, we believe in this truth, but we believe the whole truth, not just the truth that we want to make a political point with. Right. You know, like I told them, I told them the truth. Well, did you tell them the truth that you love them, that God loves them? That's true, too. I forgot that part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you just told them off. Yeah. And, and this is this is part of the Grow People podcast. Yeah. It's the point is is to help people grow. Yeah. And uh, today was a longer podcast, uh, but a powerful conversation, um, an ongoing conversation. Yeah. Uh, we will continue to have these discussions in this forum. If you if you didn't catch it in the first part of the podcast, uh, one of the reasons we started this was to have long form opportunities to get the things that we don't have time to get to on Sunday uh, that wouldn't be appropriate based upon the scripture that is being preached on Sunday and to be able to do something that is not a 144 character or 280 character tweet. Yeah. Just to explain our position on something Mm -hmm. and to, yeah, to have a, a discussion around a topic um, that is important because again, we want to, this isn't about the main point of why we're doing this isn't about to clarify just what our beliefs are as a church, although we want to, but it's to help people in our church to know how to have a conversation with other people. That's right. You know, and, and I feel like that's our job is we want to help disciple people to the point to where they know, okay, I hear what you're saying. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful to me. And and this kind of communication or, you know, a podcast is, it's a way to deal with these subjects that, um, in a live forum with a bunch of people, you just don't know who's in there, how they're going to take it, what they're going to, what they're going to hear, because they may just hear us say one thing and shut us off. But we are trying to convince people of the truth. Um, so we don't ever, we're not ever trying to go light on the truth because again, we believe that the truth sets people free. Jesus said that in John eight. Um, but that's one of the goals of this is to help people hear the truth and then know how to share that truth with their neighbors. Mm. Excellent. This has been the grow people podcast. As we always say, uh, for a transcript of today's podcast, just write down everything that we have said. Um, and we, we end with the best advice we have ever heard. Trust God and take a nap. Trust God and take a nap. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Next time.